Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. All right, we're continuing in our series titled Binge Worthy. And if you think that Netflix, even though they're getting a really great tax break here in New Mexico, has good binge-worthy shows, the Bible, we argue, has much greater. And so we've titled the series Binge-Worthy. We went through various uh, characters in the Old Testament. Now in Kings and Queens, we went through Solomon. Last week, we uh, talked about Esther, and we're going to finish up Esther today. The book of Esther was written during a time where it was a hundred years after the, uh, the, Israeli, the Jewish people had been kicked out of their homeland, had been exiled in Babylon, and the Babylonian Empire fell to the Persian Empire, and then you had all of these Jewish folks who were living there in Susa and around the Persian Empire. They didn't go back. So that must indicate that their lives were pretty good if they didn't feel that they needed to go back. So they were at some point prospering there. So we have King Xerxes who throws big parties. He loves to throw parties and he likes to get drunk. Not a very good idea for a ruler, but anyway, that was his mode of operation. So he doesn't like his wife. His wife disrespects him, Queen Vashti, and he has like a beauty contest for his new wife and Esther She is Jewish, she keeps that hidden, wins, and he falls in love with her. Well, he has this sort of bad character who is hanging out with him, a guy by the name of Haman. Any kids here named Haman today? Shame on your parents if they named you Haman. He was an Agagite who was a long-term enemy of the Jewish people, and he specifically hated Esther's uncle, Mordecai. All, I, I, Mordecai is a great name. I love Morty, but you don't hear that name that often. Mordecai would not pay any worship or any honor to Haman. So Haman's like, I'm going to get that guy. He comes up with a plan. He tells the king, and the king signs off on it because he's drunk. Uh, We didn't know if he did it at that time, but he seemed to like Haman very much. He donated a lot to the cause. And here's what happened. He says, on this certain day, we're going to throw this dice, this purr. And on this particular day, all of the Jews who are living in Persia will be killed. And the king's like, yeah, great idea. What he doesn't realize is that Mordecai has helped him out by revealing that there was a plot to kill the king and his queen was Jewish. And so what you find in this particular passage we look at today is that there are two ways to express yourself publicly. There are two ways to go about life. And one we find in the life of Haman. Haman's view of life was it's all about me, me continually, always. And because of that, we find that his character is very ruthless 
and vicious with anyone who would challenge that idea, right? Well, on the other hand, you had Esther, who had become queen, and now all of her people were in peril. Mordecai said, as we read last week, maybe you were brought to this particular time like this. You've been brought into the palace as a queen for this particular moment. Maybe God will use that, seeing God's hand of sovereignty in the whole process. So she calls for a fast among all the Jews who are living in the land. Fast and pray with me for three days, and I'm going to go in before the king. And so she realizes that we're all in this together. There's no neutral ground. And if we're going to do this, we have to do this together. And she was not living just for herself. She was there on behalf of her people, which takes her motivation up much higher and higher. So she enters into the outer courts of the king. He sees her. He brings her in. What's going on? And she said, well, what I'd like to do king, my request is that I I provide a banquet for you and your buddy Haman. And uh, I would like you to come and I'd like to honor you, okay? And he's like, oh, great idea. Sounds good. Um, What was she doing? She was somebody who was very, very wise. Very, very wise. Because what would you do with someone who is the most powerful man in the world and his best buddy is a lying, murderous deceiver. You would deal with that person like you would deal with a snake very, very carefully. And that's, that's literally what she was doing. She had to be very careful because her whole life and the fate of her people was in someone else's hand. But Let's look at her character for just a moment. She was self-possessed. She was courageous. She had fasted. She prepared spiritually. And she had godly wisdom. We notice this. She didn't try to force her way in. It was illegal to do that, to come into the king's court unless you were announced. But she presented herself and she followed it up by greats. She didn't demand her rights as a queen. I demand to be heard. You need to hear me. You need to do this. She would have trampled on all of the decorum that had been set before, and she did not do it. She was very respectful. Listen, this is something that I believe is dying in our society. Here's a note. You're taking notes. If you are disrespectful to another person, Please expect that you will receive disrespect from them. That's just the way it goes. If you are disrespectful to another person, you will receive in kind disrespect. If you're disrespectful to somebody in authority, like your boss, know that if you persist, you, that boss is thinking of how to get rid of you. That's just a fact. I know that you may feel like you're God's gift to that workplace that you're in, but if you're constantly causing trouble, I can tell you, uh, I was a boss for many years, and when someone continually agitated the whole process, my only thought is, how can we get rid of them quickly 
with the least amount of damage to everybody else. Why? Because that is not a healthy environment for anyone, and nobody wants to promote that. Nobody wants to promote that, only the person who's being a jerk. Listen, being a jerk and making demands of others works only if they're afraid of you. Everyone was afraid of King Xerxes because he had the power of life and death with him. But be aware, my friends, though people may fear you, they do not respect you, and consequently, they have no loyalty to you. Companies work really hard to to garner people's loyalty in that process. But if someone feels that you don't care, you may be able to lord over them because they hold your, you hold their paycheck over their heads, but that doesn't mean that they have any loyalty to you. That means that the first chance that they get, they will find something else. I was just talking to this about with friends throughout the week. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but the world has changed. And, and the reason I know, I mean, his, someone like myself who's basically clueless most of the time, I do pay, pay attention to restaurants that I go to. Have you noticed anything about your favorite restaurants lately? Did you, you notice that the staffing is less and the precision is less? There's a lot of confusion and frustration on both sides of the counter. Something has changed, hasn't it? There's been a real shift. Now, Esther has everything on the line with her people, but she honors the king. You could say, well, he's not a very honorable king. He doesn't need to be honored. Respectful people respect the position, period. Because you dig around enough, you can find a reason not to respect somebody, period. That's anybody at any time. You can give yourself as many reasons as you want to say, I do not have to be respectful to this person. I don't like the president. I didn't vote for the president. Uh, I don't like the governor. I didn't vote for the governor. It doesn't matter. Their position requires respect, and that's why we pray for our leaders, and we pray that God would bless them, because when they are blessed and they are blessed by God, other people will be blessed. It's not just us. It's something bigger than that. She honored with respect and grace. Listen, she honored with service and was a blessing, a meal for his best friend, and she was even gracious at that moment to Haman, even though he had a plot afoot to kill them. Esther, though, was paving the way for her request for civility and dignity of her people and food. Here's a lesson we can all learn from Esther. Yelling and screaming may get you what you won't want at the moment. Using fear and intimidation may get the job done at the moment. Deception and manipulation can produce results. Complaining or demanding your rights will move people, my friends, but at what cost? But at what cost? All of us have a choice 
to maintain the dignity that God has given us as, as in the, made in the image of God. We're told here that it says that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them in the imago Dei. Male and female, he created them. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God was made mankind. You see, each human being, doesn't matter who they are, holds a certain level of dignity because they were made in the image of God. We were made in the image of God in, in so much so that, that we were meant to be those among the creatures who would rule the world just like God rules his world. Human beings, listen, are due dignity and respect because they are created in the image of God. And this fact alone should cause us to carefully consider the way we treat one another. Husbands, be respectful and gentle to your wives. Wives, display respect and humility in relationship to your husband. Parents, even parents, treat your children with respect, be respectful to them, and, and teach them how to be respectful by respecting them and expecting more from them. A person you respect, you don't expect less from, you expect more. Younger people. And this, you need to hear this since today we have a lot of younger people in here. Respect those who are older. Nothing looks so bad on a young person as being disrespectful to someone who is older. You may think that your clothing and your <laughs> sense of fashion is bad. Listen, you can wear the worst thing ever and be respectful and come out pretty good. But you can be dressed as sharp as you want to and as cool as you want to and you be disrespectful to an older person. Nothing could look worse on you. It makes you look immature. It makes you look entitled. And frankly, it makes you look like an idiot. All right, there I said it, the E word. <clears throat> older people respect younger people, and bear with their immaturity. You know, I don't know what it is, but in our society, we love to divide between those who have gray hair. I mean, I have some gray hair in my beard. I'm bald, so you wouldn't know what color my hair is. But, and, and those who are younger, and we, and we put forth the young folks, and we have to. Let's just be straight up here about this, young people. If the church is going to continue into the future, we have to invest in you so that you at some point take over the reins and continue the ministry of the gospel from generation to generation. So as older people, if we're not investing in those who are coming up, if we're not making room for leadership, we're blowing it. We're basically digging a grave that eventually we'll all enter and someone will come and say good night. Younger people. I know that it's hard to deal with older people. You're, they've told you what to do from year to year. But, I, but I'm telling you, 
you need older people in your life. They become more valuable. Why? Because if you will have just enough humility and listen to those who are older, you can avoid many mistakes just by the humility of listening to someone who's been through it before, especially those who love you. Love one another. Love our enemies. Bless those who persecute you. These are the words of Jesus in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. He said, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Everyone? The Democrats? Really? The Republicans? No. Yes. As far as it's up to you and your own person, live at peace with everyone. Romans chapter 14 says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. There's that principle that she had again. She wasn't just doing this for herself. She had other people in mind. And when that life of service is, is played out on, on the plane of life, it not only affects you, it affects other people. And when you get the mindset that you can become a blessing to those around you, your world gets better, my friend. Your world gets better. And Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 5. He said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Okay, now let me just read this a different way and, and see how it sounds. Blessed are the troublemakers. No, it doesn't say that. Blessed are the peacemakers. And she held her dignity and she was making peace. Listen, you and I have a choice. You are going to be a peacemaker or a troublemaker. Now, speaking of troublemaker, here comes Haman. He says in verse 9, Haman went out that day happy and high spirits. When he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and he observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home calling together his friends and Zeresh, his wife, Haman boasted to them, this guy is, he is out of touch completely. He boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons, all the way the king has honored him and how he had been elevated to above all of the other nobles and officials. And that's not all, Haman added. I'm the only person Queen Esther invited, accompanied the king to a banquet she gave, and she has invited me along with the king tomorrow. But all this he gives me no satisfaction as long as I see Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. Mordecai. Zeresh, sweet gal, and all his friends say to him, have a pole set up. Not the kind of where you're going to take a pole. This is a big pole, reaching up to the height of 50 cubits and asking the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Then go to the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. The suggestion, believe it or not, delighted Haman, 
And he had his pole set up. And then, by the way, it was pretty close to his house. Haman, Haman was deceiving and being deceived. It starts with your worldview and your values. What were his values? Well, we hear it here as he's bragging to everyone, having wealth, having power and influence. Having wealth and power makes a person important, Haman would say. Being honored by the king, important people, famous people. Uh, Being honored above your peers, that's really important. In essence, he said, he said, I want to be somebody, I am somebody, and I'm not like the other people. In essence, I am entitled to it. Finally, I will get recognized for what I deserve. Here's a flaw, a terrible flaw. Finding your identity in view of others' opinion about you. Haman, at best, was a mental mess. When your whole identity is built on what other people think about you, and, I don't know, it is a recipe for depression. In his case, it was a, it was a recipe for self deception. For many of us, it's a recipe for deception. Because if I'm popular, if I have a certain number of followers on Instagram, well, then everything's okay. But I look over and and -and so-and-so who's sort of like me, they have twice as many followers as I do. My world is melting. My worth is going down. I have little cloud in this world. Well, you're putting all of your worth in other people's hands. My friends, that is the Haman way. (laughs) Okay? It's terrible. Okay? Does it really bother you when you find out someone else dislikes you as a person? Why would anybody not like me? I'm a, variable, I'm a wonderful person. How could they not like me? And as far as we know, it was the only person in the crowd, Mordecai, that one guy who's sitting there like, I don't like you. Buddy, no way. But that's what aided him. So much so, he wanted to put the guy to death. Terrible insecurity can foster this type of of behavior. It is a destructive filter which we view and judge every relationship and every encounter that we have. When we exacerbate our ego and self-centeredness becomes dangerous because we're starting to divide relationships between enemies, fans, and resources. Who are my enemies? Who are my fans? And what are my resources? Enemies, fans, and resources. And enemies are important because you need to know who's against you. Fans are important because you need to know who's with you. And resources of people are important because you want to get things done in your world and in your way. 
Followers, fans, and the like are important to you. But are they important to what you are doing in the broader effect? Folks who view life this way are never at peace with themselves. Haman, though he had it all and bragged about it all, wasn't satisfied with it at all. Is there an alternative? Is there an alternative? Yes. And I believe it's finding our identity in God and in Jesus. It's an honest pathway to true self-awareness. Here it is. Okay? You ready? Here's a good identity for you and I. If you're a follower of Christ, if you believe in Jesus, first of all, you have to recognize that I am not God. Oh, some of you are shocked. But you're not God. So stop acting like you are. Nobody likes it, okay? I answer to God, rather. He is in charge. And my question should be is not what should God do for me, but what does He want from me? What does God require? And I find peace and comfort in His acceptance of me because I am falling into the created order that we were designed for, period. People and righteous relationships become very important to me. Honoring and pleasing Jesus becomes what is most important, and I owe everything to him, my joy, my pleasure. Humility and gratitude become my clothing, and I feel free to be a real person, a real blessing, Haman, on the contrast, on his side, had become a curse to himself and to everyone else. He had become a curse to himself and everyone else. So here's what happens. We'll wrap this up quickly. The king can't sleep. So what do you do when you can't sleep? You read a boring book. So he had one of his attendants come in and read some of the royal uh, chronicles. That'll put you to sleep. But he didn't fall asleep right away, and he found out that Mordecai was someone who had saved his life by squashing an assassination attempt. And he said, has anything been done for him? And he said, well, he said, no, not yet. We need to do something for this guy. He needs to be honored for what he's done. So here's what happens. The next day, Hen walks Haman, I'm coming to another party, and it's for me, and I got my pole set up. I'm going to talk to the king. I'm going to put Mordecai on the pole. And so he walks in, and, and, and the king says, what should I do for the man that the king wants to honor? And he's thinking, that's me. Well, I'd give him a horse, a royal steed, and I would have him carried around the pavilion all around town and talk about how great this person is. And he said, good, great idea. I want you to go get the royal steed and I want you to pick up Mordecai who is out at the gate and I want you to put him on the horse and drive him around town and say these wonderful things about him. When you're focused on yourself, you cannot see a trap coming. God was laying a trap for this dude, and here it came. You see, 
By all accounts, Mordecai may have thought that God had forgotten him. But God doesn't forget anything. God doesn't. God had a plan that far outstretched the plan of a self-centered, murderous Cretan, Haman. So, here's what happens. The end of it is all this. She takes him to the banquet. He seems freaked out. And right in front of the king, Esther says, look, I need your help. Whatever you want, babe, up to half of the kingdom. You know me. And so she said, look, Haman has declared a decree that all of my people, the Jews, are to be killed. Well, king had been drinking a little bit, got pretty mad. Haman was done for. And guess who ends up on the barbecue spit outside? The huge pole. Haman does. And because of this, Mordecai is brought in and she says to, to Esther, Esther, all of Haman's wealth, you're in charge of it. So she puts Mordecai in charge of it. And then he elevates Mordecai up. And they say, well, we got a problem. What's the problem? Well, the problem is that the king's edict cannot be reversed. It still has to go out. So he made another decree that the Jews could protect themselves and prepare to defend themselves and to fight on that day. And they did, and they defended themselves. And all of Haman's cohorts and the people that hated them were put down. And so after that, they, they, they established an event, a feast of Purim. Remember the poor, the dice? Purim. Now, this is important, and the whole story is sort of shaped around this idea. You had God's people living in a foreign land, probably not following all of the Torah. Probably not doing everything right. A lot of laws and codes they were missing, but yet there were still God's people. What an evil person had thought he was doing in order to destroy the Jews was to throw a poor dice. But God ultimately is the one who had control of the dice with his people. Now, if you are a compulsive gambler, do not use this sermon to go to the casino after service and say, God, take control of the dice right now. I'm one of your kids. Parlay. No, I don't know what that means. <clears throat> but the idea is all of mankind's plans, as wicked as they may be, as altruistic as they may seem, ultimately God remains in control. And ultimately, in the midst of turmoil and pain and the prospect of disaster, God still is in control. Now, I'm going to speak very poignantly, and then we're going to baptize. Right now in this world, especially in our country, there are a lot of people who want to blame the church for all the problems. That's no big, that is nothing new, okay? God's never called us to win a, per, a 
personality contest, a popularity contest. We may feel like that at times, but COVID has shown us that that's not really sustainable. That's a famous word used very often today. It's not sustainable. But God will choose the end and the cause and the justification and victory and the sustaining of his people and him alone. No evil person, no evil plan will go beyond the hand of the living God. And what you and I hold on to today is, is more stable than any popular notion afoot today. Any plan of evil that someone would have against God's people is not sustainable. It may have a certain effect, but in the end, God is the one who holds the dice. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.